Send your spirit to be with us. Speak to our hearts tonight. Be with our brethren that can't be with us and those that are ill and in heavy trial that you sent. And comfort them, Lord, as only you can in the time that pleases you. Thank you for this hour and be with us. It's because of Christ that we ask it. Amen. All right, brethren. John 19. We've been in here for a while. I have four points for you this evening and a question concerning this text. Christ was taken down from that cross. That's our beginning. That's our state that we're in. There was no broken bones in him when they took him down, but a spear had pierced him in the side, and he was looked on. He was looked on. And then I want to ask you a question at the very end. Do we look on him? Do we look on him? I pray we do. Our Lord had just said those three precious, precious words, the good news of the salvation. It's finished. It's finished. That's the ocean of thought and a thimble of words. It is finished. What was finished? That's what we looked at the last time. The law was fulfilled, every jot and tittle. The fulfilling of all the scriptures, everything was accomplished. The covering of our sin in his own blood. Him giving us his righteousness. The crushing of the head of Satan, that great accuser of the brethren. A place of reconciliation, a place of atonement at one with the Father was made. So I go to prepare a place for you, a mercy seat, right? That's where they met in that holiest of holies, a mercy seat. Remember the other word for mercy seat? Propitiation, that's it. And by doing that, by establishing that, by him being the mercy seat, he gives us the ability to come boldly to that throne. What, what a thought. Hebrews 4 says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted just like we are. He's our kinsman, yet without sin. That means he's able. Let us therefore, because of that, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Who did he do this for? The Lord said it's finished. And we see what was finished. Well, who was it finished for? He said, my friends. Isn't that a thought? Don't that, does that ever keep you up at night? He called me a friend. He said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He said, you're my friends. I told the apostles that. If he laid down his life for them, he laid down his life for us. That means he's our friend. Our friend that sticks closer to brother, we're his friend. That's a special thing, isn't it? There's some people in this world, I say, that's my friend. I know them. I tell you about it, too. And there's some people in this world I don't call friends. <laughs> I'll tell you that I ain't their friend. I know them. I ain't friends with them. <laughs> Seeing these things finished. Seeing that law fulfilled. Seeing Christ our Lamb dying for us. Seeing all the old Testament types and pictures coming to pass in the person of our Redeemer and our Lord. Seeing all those things. They've been recorded right here for us. That's for the child of God that they might believe. What we're going to look at tonight 
is, is that, John said it right here in his word, that you might believe. Look here in verse 35, John 19, 35. And he that saw it, that's John the apostle, he bare record. How did he do that? Oh, you're reading it. <laughs> he wrote it, wrote it down. And his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true. I know what I believe. I know what I saw. That ye might believe. He told us what happened between it is finished and, and Joseph of Arimathea coming. That ye might believe. We're going to look at these things tonight. And a child of God might be born tonight. Wouldn't that be something? If God made us believe on him today, if he, and, and if we believed before, maybe we believed tonight like we've never believed, like it's the first time. Wouldn't that be precious? If this wasn't just sitting through some sermon and God spoke to our hearts, I pray that day in and day out. I think he does, and I'm going to ask him again tonight. We're given the faith to believe God, to believe his word. We're going to rejoice in the majesty of him and everything to do about him. We will. I've heard some messages. I've sent y'all two messages. That last message I sent everybody to. You can't sit down and tell me the three R's in that. You can't clearly define tulip in it, can you? It was just a, a, a preacher telling you what God did. What he done around us and, and, and referencing some scripture in that. And that's what happened. But that wasn't a, a three-point gospel message, was it? Sometimes we see things in scripture and I just rejoice about it. Uh, just seeing the history of what the Lord's done. That's good. And it's not right for us. We'll see this later on. It's not right for us to be, this is what we do. And then we say, we got to have to have room by the fall first. And go through those things. That's not good. If I'm God's man, I'm speaking to you. That's not good. Heed me. It's not good to be that rigid. The Lord told him there in Luke 24, he said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. All things. You know how much things we don't even know? We don't know what we don't know. He fulfilled all of it. Even the stuff, I don't even know what it means yet. <laughs> I know he did it. All things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Doesn't that tickle you to look back and you say, but that is what Joseph is a type of Christ. He did abound towards me. I am Gomer. He bought me. And that money was the same. They used silver. Can you believe that? I just, oh, in majesty. Just, it's majestic to me. I love it. He said, he then opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said, thus it's written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning right here where you're standing at Jerusalem, before you take another step, get after it. He goes on to say, you're my witnesses to these things. Has anything changed? We are, ain't we? We witnessed him in these scriptures. What's that worth to you? John stayed at that cross. Most had left already, I, I guarantee it. Uh, when, the, when the Lord had died and those, those two thieves, the malefactors on either side had died, everybody left. You can get a whole crowd of people to watch you kill somebody. You can't get them to stick around. <laughs> 
They don't want to go to jail or they ain't going to stay around long. They don't want to be around when that body starts swelling up. That's so, isn't it? John stayed. John stayed till Christ was laid down. He recorded all this for you and I, the events that took place for us to know about it. What a privilege. What a privilege. He was taken down. Why was Christ taken down? He was on a cross. He had to come off of it. Why did they take him down? Look at verse 31, John 19, 31. The Jews, therefore, this isn't the Lord's spiritual Israel. This is the religious folks of the day. I mean, this is the, the high society. Y'all have words for it, corporate church or something. I don't even know what you, the religious folks, not people that know God, religious folks and theologians and, and the high doctors and the masters and all that. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, this is Friday evening, and tomorrow, Saturday, that's when we go to church. We got to get ready. And this is a big day of church. That the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day. This ain't just any old Sabbath day, it's Passover. It's a special day. Basalt Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Hurry up, break their legs, kill them, and get them out of here. <laughs> that, that Sabbath day was different than the other day. That was the rush behind it. Is one day different than another? Let me ask you this. What about when we worship God? Is a Wednesday night different than a Sunday morning? I've asked this question before. I've told you what my children's asked me, haven't I? Is it different on a Wednesday night than is a Sunday morning? Do we put different emphasis on it? We do, don't we? Because of religious tradition, they asked for Christ to be taken down. You know what? why? Because the next morning we have to begin get to worshiping God. What they're saying is get God off that cross because they didn't know him. And we will now worship God today, and it's going to be a big day. It's a big event. Get this fella out of here. That was the big day. It was a and high day. It's the Jews' Passover. Remember, not the, it used to be Lord's Passover. We'll see it later on. But it was the Jews' Passover. This is important. This is when we worship God. We worship down there today. We fellowship down there today. We have, have, have communion one with another. All the words that sound good. They killed Christ and tried to get him off there as quick as they could so they get back to their traditions. This is that one time a year event. Has anything changed? This, maybe, they, maybe they were having a special message on that day. Just for the folks that show up just once a year. And that way they just feel real warm and fuzzy on the inside about hating God and ignoring his son the other 364 days of the year. Anything different? Do I, do I preach anything different on Eastern and, and Christmas to you folks? Or do we just keep going where we're going? They did, but they had something special. And what time that's happening? These people's only going to come in once a year, and we got to make them feel good and good and fuzzy. If it's a Mother's Day or it's a whatever, we have a special thing for them and hand out some presents to them and get that, that bloody man off that cross. It's going to interfere. we got a big day tomorrow. Blood's offensive. Blood's offensive. People don't want to see that. They don't want to smell it. We Most American men have beards and profess to be men. Don't even know what blood smells like. You remember what it is? You ever been around it much? Iron. You go, oh, you can smell it a long way off. Can't you? Smells on you if it's been on there a while. Get that blood out of here. Blood's offensive. You know why blood's offensive? There's something worse than blood that's offensive. Why we need it. Don't you tell me I'm a sinner. I mean, I'll agree to the, the, the adjective, 
<laughs> not the noun. I know what's best. It's all, all of our nature by Adam, isn't it? If Christ was still hanging on that cross, that would tarnish their church services. I bet they got up in funny voices and said, we will now worship God in the conducting of the Passover ceremony. <laughs> Probably swung some incenses or something and did all kinds of crazy things. Dead hearts carry out very strict, routine, and thorough ceremonies. And they call it religion. They call it worshiping God. That's why it's so, just to, to listen to a message and have a checklist of like, that doctrine, yep, we hit all the points of doctrine. That's dangerous. You hear, you hear what I'm telling you? Don't heed me if you don't want to, but I'm, if, I'm sent of God to tell you these things. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to do that. To, to, to sit there and look for something in a message and say, oh, they did right, that's accurate, is not looking for Christ. Look for him. Look for him. That's a good thing. <laughs> Well, he didn't tell me how the Holy Spirit abounds towards us and saves sinners on this day. So what? Was Christ proclaimed? That was the message for the day, wasn't it? That's what we're to look for because it's so easy for us to get in a routine and then we have 400 years without a prophet. Look where they're at. For that body to be brought down off that cross was not a typical thing. This was not normal, what they asked to happen. The breaking of the legs was, but not bringing the body down. The Roman cross, it was gruesome. But after a person was dead, they left the body there for a lot longer. Days. Some have said even weeks, even. Because it was more gruesome. It corrupted the body more. It was more shameful. The sole purpose of crucifixion, that Roman cross, was to humiliate people, to torture them, and to kill criminals in plain sight of the public. To shame them, to be mean to them, and to discourage anybody else doing the same thing. They left him up there for days to discourage. Our Lord said that too. I mean, it makes good sense, don't it? You set an example. Set a loud one. Warn people. That was just the, the, the rulers appointed over them. But our Lord said if they see that what they did to a green branch, what do you think they're going to do to a dry branch? Somebody's going to come to God in their own righteousness and all their good own religion. You see what happened when the, the Lord put our sin on Christ, what he did to his own son who was without sin? What do you think he's going to do to you? But they left them up there. They left the criminals there long enough so the birds would come and, and pick over their bodies and devour the bodies. And chunks would fall down and the dogs would run up and fight over the scraps of meat that fell down. And when there was nothing left, they'd take the bones down. And they wouldn't even find a nice place to bury them in the ground. We'll look at that Sunday. Purpose of a burial, purpose of a funeral. They wouldn't even find a good place to bury the bones. They would just throw them over the hillside. What was the name of this place? Golgotha? The place of the skull, a bunch of skulls laying there. It's corrupted. The body was, and it was great shame, and it was a deterrent. But why was Christ brought off of that cross? Out of the norm? He said in Psalm 16, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. He knew going to that cross, he wasn't going to stay on it after midnight. <laughs> Before before that happened, he's coming off of there, fulfilling the scriptures. Can you believe that? Psalm 16, verse 10. That's good, isn't it? I like how Pilate didn't listen to those religious folks. They was giving him advice. Well, let me just tell you, let me give some suggestions to you. <laughs> Break their legs and get them out of here. Give us that body or do something with it. And he said, why do you want me to do that? Remember whenever they did the, the title over the, the, the cross there? 
They came to him and said, you wrote the king of the Jews. Do you write down, he said he was the king of the Jews. He said, I've written what I've written. And they said, well, give us the body to get rid of it. And it, wasn't, it was against the law to give it to anybody that wasn't family. And then we'll see next week down in verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea, he petitioned for it and Pilate gave it to him. <laughs> that was property of the state. That was property of the government. He gave it to him freely, didn't he? Before they gave that body, before they took it down, there was no bones broken. Before Nicodemus came along. Verse 32. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him on either side. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. They break not his legs. How did they break the legs of people on the cross? Whenever I was in the military, we called it a tanker's bar. You probably see landscapers stuff. Big old long, like a five-foot-long metal bar, real heavy, about, about an inch and a half across, square on one end, point on the other. That's what we had. That's what I thought of. They have a big iron bar, and they would go through, and they would crush their legs while they were still alive so it would kill them. There'd be arterial bleeding in there and all that stuff, but they'd break their legs, and it was violent, and it would hurt more to torture them more. They'd crush their legs, and then that would be a shock to their system, and death would come. And they did all that for the criminal's sake, to be mean to them, and for everybody watching. So either they could get enjoyment or get a lesson not to do whatever that criminal did. But the two on the sides were broken, not the master. You know why his legs weren't broken? His body couldn't see corruption. He had come down. He's the Passover lamb. They're getting ready to celebrate the, the preparation day. This is the lamb that all them countless millions of other lambs typify. This is him. He's a lamb without, turn over to Exodus 12. A lamb without blemish. I was walking this week and I got to thinking about that a lot. I wonder how many times that start over. You find one, one cross hair in that thing. If you had a, a white cat, you're going to find some hairs that ain't white on it, you know. If you had to find some, well, that's got a blemish. Well, that one's got a blemish. Well, that one's got a blemish. They walked out in them fields. I know what they did. Well, that's close enough. Isn't it? That's not what the scriptures, that's what, not what God demands. That's what natural man does. Says that's close enough. God demands without blemish. He's that lamb. He said it had to be out without blemish. You had to kill it in the evening. You had to take that blood and you had to strike it on two side posts in the upper post of the house and you had to eat it inside of there. And you eat it all that night, and you had to roast it with fire. You couldn't boil it in water. And you had to eat it with unleavened bread, and it had to be bitter, bitter herbs. You see all those things? Isn't that beautiful? Verse 10, Exodus 12, verse 10. And ye shall let none of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until morning ye shall burn with fire. That's got to come down. It's got to be gone before morning. You see that? He had to come off that cross. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat with haste. It's the Lord's Passover. This is the Lord's Passover. Down in verse 43. Exodus 12, 43. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. He speaks about strangers coming to eat with them, what they have to do. But here in verse 46. In one house... Shall it be eaten? Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. You can't break a bone of it. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. No bones in this Passover lamb can be broken. It has to be perfect. It has to be without spot and without blemish. And it has to be roasted with fire. And it has to be ate with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. 
and you can't break a bone of it. That's what I require. You ever cook something and found out there's a broken bone in it? You ever got some chicken legs or something? When you go to bite into it, that little bone, you didn't know it until you went to eat it. God requires this. He requires perfection. Well, what that mean? It says over Numbers 9, too, he said, you, you should leave nothing till morning and neither break a bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, ye shall keep it. Shall keep it. We have. We have in him. Ain't that something? <laughs> There's much required. You take every shall and you gotta. And the child of God will. It's a command. It's going to happen. Go read, go read the Ten Commandments with that. That's what Christ did for us. Well, how does this affect us? We're bone of his bone, ain't we? Turn over to Ephesians 6. I just This was precious to me. I think it would be precious to you. Ephesians 5. I'm sorry, it's Ephesians 5. I wrote that down wrong. Christ did not have a broken bone. He suffered everything else to go on. The beatings and the scourgings and all that, but not, not a broken bone. Why? We're bone of his bone. Just as Eve was taken out of that first Adam's side, our lives from his wounded side. We're bone of his bone. We're flesh of his flesh. We're one with him. You think about those bones not being broken for me and you, uh, uh, this bride. I'm a bride, okay? Now let's read Ephesians 5 here in verse 22. Christ is her husband. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. He's speaking of a body. Even as Christ is head of the church, he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Spotless, without blemish. That's what we have to be. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. There's unity. There's at-one-ment, atonement. Because it's the same body. He's the head. We're the body. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. <laughs> you see that bone of our bone, and we have to be made without blemish, because he's our substitute. And, and we're made him because he was made. He took our blemishes. He bore that. We're made him. Paul says this is a great mystery. This thing's been revealed to us. Isn't that precious? We're stewards of the mysteries of God, of the grace of God. He says, but I speak concerning Christ the church. Nevertheless, nevertheless, let every one of you particular so love his wife even as himself and his wife reverence. See that the wife reverence the husband. <laughs> He said, now don't go, that don't mean nothing to me because this is, this is spiritual. I don't have to, no. He says, nevertheless, you go be a good husband and you go be a good wife. 
Psalm 34 says, He keepeth all his bones and not one of them broken. We are God's children. And we will not be crushed by our sin and destroyed. We will never be separated from him, ever. And like that thief on the cross, he knew he was going to be in glory that evening. Before midnight struck, he was going to be with the Lord because the Lord told him and he believed him. But he had to have his legs broken, didn't he? He had to suffer still. We may suffer a whole lot in the body as believers, but that's for God's glory. It pleased him for that, to do that. Job, I thought of his miserable comforters coming, and every one of them said, well, what'd you do, Job? You did something. That's why God's being mean to you. Was God punishing that thief on the cross because he was mad at him? He just died for his sins. <laughs> no, this was for his benefit and Christ's glory. It was. Just because a saint of God suffers in the body does not mean that the Lord's not for us. I want to be delivered from pain. I want to be delivered from sorrow. My heart's aching right now, and I wish it stopped. But it's not necessary that that pain stop. It's not necessary, whether it's in the body or the, the suffering, sorrow of the soul, it's not necessary for that. It's necessary for me to have him. I want you to get that. There in John 16, 33, it says, These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. What do people look for peace in? You hear what, hear what they talk about. Well, I did this, and I did that, and I found this, and I, I went to start going to church here, and I knew that one's wrong, that one's wrong, that one's wrong, that one's wrong, and I finally found the right place. Christ said, you're going to have trouble, so you'll have peace in me. Not in doctrine, not in a church, not in membership, not in baptism, not in your experiences, and not in your understanding and how much scripture you know. It's going to be in him, and you ain't going to have it. That's why people's miserable, and that's why they take it out and lash out on other people. Unbelief, sin's all it is. But the Lord's going to put us through our paces and he's going to have our legs broke. <laughs> I told you that story. I broke his leg. I don't want to break it again. <laughs> I'm thankful for what the Lord did. That was the means. But he put us through suffering and does those things. That way we're going to have tribulation, but we're going to be of good cheer because we know he overcome the world. And our peace is him. Not this body feeling good. Him. Not my mind being okay. Him. He's peace. That passeth all understanding, doesn't it? Not if you have it. <laughs> I can't explain it, but I get it. I want other people to get it too. It's finished. He said, it's finished. It's done. According to the scriptures, no bone will be broken. But they did something else, though, back here in John 19. A spear went in his side. Water and blood came out. John 19, 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. John wrote about this again many years later. This stuck with him. He said in 1 John 5, This is he that came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. He emphasizes greatly. What's this mean? Why was there water and blood? There's a whole lot of speculation and debate, and this and you can go on and find things on the Internet for eons, and you'd be better off watching a football game. Here's, well, how could a body bleed if it was already dead? And Nonsense, right? I know water and blood came out. You know why? It says water and blood came out, and I believe it. So that happened. 
and there were some old writers, and buddy, they th- they had some real good points. These were men like the first century. They had met the apostles, old writers, old writers. I'm not talking about 1950s. I'm talking about like the 50s. You know what I mean? Way back when. They had some good points. They said, well, this, this was the written word and the Spirit of God coming out. I could see that. I guess that would be honoring. One of them said, I like this a whole lot. Faithful man of God that knew him. This was a picture of the two baptisms that God's children experience. Baptism of the blood, the Holy Ghost, and of water. That's good. Another one kind of took off that and ran a little bit. And he said, this here's a picture of the two ordinances we're given. The Lord's Supper. This is my blood. Take and drink, didn't he? And the other ordinance, baptism, water. We're buried with him. And those could be really good points, isn't it? That could honor God. I could understand some of those things. But what's the word say about these things? The word's clear on these things. We compare scripture with scripture. This, what come out of his side was our justification and our sanctification. Paul said in Romans 5, But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's the context? We've got to get to verse before before we get to verse after, don't we? Christ died for us, much more than now being justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath through him. That blood that come out, that, that typifies the blood that we're washed in. How in the world do you wash something in red blood and it comes out white? I don't understand that either, but I say amen, it's so. That, that blood come out, that's our justification. Well, what about that sanctification? That's a rough a lot of feathers, but the word says so, so I ain't scared to say it. Psalm 119 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How are we going to be cleansed? By taking heed thereunto according to thy word. We have to be cleansed, don't we? There's a whole lot of washings. Paul talked about that justification there in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, he listed this whole thing of bad things, right? You just think of bad people. And he said, and such were some of you. Is there somebody I ought not preach to? Such were some of you. Such were some of this guy, wasn't it? He said, but you are washed. He's talking to believers. He said, you're washed. You are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's who did it. You're washed. We're justified by his blood. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Ain't gonna happen. And we're made holy and we're cleansed by the washing. You remember back in John 13 when the Lord went and washed the apostles' feet? And Peter said, Don't you, you ain't gonna let you wash my feet. The Lord said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Well, this is serious. This is important, isn't it? What'd he say? Well, I'll wash my head, my hands, and my feet. Watch what I think, watch what I do, watch where I am, <laughs> what my providence is. And he said, He that washeth need not, <clears throat> he that is washed needeth not to wash but his feet, but is ever clear, clean every whit. Ye are clean. You're clean, Peter. You're washed. You're washed. Hebrews 10 says, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. That's the blood. Remember the sprinkling with hyssop of the lamb? Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, from that sin, and our bodies washed with pure water. We're, we're, we're justified. That means everything we did was right because we was in him. And we're sanctified. You're washed. You're clean. You can't get dirty no more. You're forever holy, without blemish before him in love. That's typified by the Spirit. There was people that was witnesses of this. John saw it, didn't he? 
Look back in John nineteen thirty five. And he that saw it bear record. John's speaking of himself. And his record's true. John said, everything I just told you is true. And he knoweth that he saith the truth. I know what I told you is true. Paul didn't say, I think I know. He said, I know whom I believed. I'm fully persuaded. I'm not half persuaded. Fully persuaded. That ye might believe. I've seen these things. I know these things. And I'm telling you about it. And maybe you'll believe. Maybe you'll receive me. What I have to tell you. What this word says. For these things were done. That the scriptures should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. This is all according to the scriptures. Isn't it? Every bit of it. Every bit of it. According to the scriptures. This is right. This, is, this is, satisfies God. That's important because we've offended him. If he's made us know we're sinners, we need, we, we need restitution and reconciliation and anything that's, that's good. <laughs> we need to be made right. We can't do it. According to the scriptures, this is holy. This is just. And looking on him, look here, at last point short, verse 37. And again, another scripture saith, they shall all, I'm sorry, they shall look on him whom they've pierced. Everyone that's going to, be the one that pierced him. Be the one that hung him there, that drove those nails in. That was the reason he hung there. You're going to look on him. You shall see him high and lifted up. Over Matthew 27, it says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. You put him on that cross, you're going to see that you put him on that cross. If you're the one he died for, he's going to reveal himself to you. And you're going to say, it's my fault. I did it. I killed him. That water and that blood had to be for me because of the wickedness I am. Am I prone to wonder and, and all the bad stuff about me? We're going to see him. We're going to see him. How do we look on him? How do you see him? How do I see him? Well, let's look at Zechariah, and then we'll close, okay? Zechariah, you go to Matthew and then turn to the left, two books. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah 12, verse 10. It says, And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him. Do you mourn for him? He said, weep not for me, weep for yourselves and your children. But we're going to mourn for him. As one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him, as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great morning in Jerusalem as the morning of Hadramon in the valley of Megadon and the land shall mourn every family apart, every family of the house of David apart and their wives apart and the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart and their sister, their, their wives apart, the family of Shimei apart and their wives apart. What does that all mean? Individually. It ain't going to be because somebody else cried for you. You're going to cry about it. 
You are going to look on him. You're going to look on him. He's revealed himself. The family of the house of Levi apart, their wives apart. Verse 14, all the families that remain, pick one, every family apart and their wives apart. In that day, what are they going to see? God gets you alone by yourself and reveals Christ to you for real, not, not, not a, 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 a creed. He reveals a person to you. What are you going to see? Chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. What's that fountain for? For sin, it's going to be a fountain of blood and uncleanness, a fountain of water. We're going to pierce him. Blood and water is going to come out, and that's for our sin and uncleanness. That was before the Lord was born, a couple hundred years. Isn't that precious? What's that teach us? You want to be taught something? He said they'll be taught of God. <laughs> What's that teach us? If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. He made it come to pass. People willfully did it. And it's finished. All the work's done. And now he says, I ain't going to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to keep you all the way till you see me face to face. If I've revealed myself to you. Believe him. That's good news, isn't it? All right. Brother Mike. Please turn in your hymnals to hymn number 259. Again, there's a closing hymn 259. The rock that is higher than that.
uh, Sunday morning, 945, and uh, it's a first Sunday, and so bring what you like. We'll have a meal after and uh, time eating together and uh, start the new year off. That'd be nice, won't it? And remember Brother Bob, as you can, Vicky went in and got a shoulder replacement today, and he talked to me this morning. I haven't heard from him since, but uh, that's why he wasn't here tonight. But um, those, those sorrows in the body are for coming for all of us, ain't they? So anyway, remember him as you can, and you'll dismiss. We'll see you Sunday morning. Thank you. Mm -hmm.